This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Wednesday, August the 3rd, and we start with an absolutely tragic story that a teenager has died after reportedly getting trapped in equipment at a fun fair in Dover. Now, emergency crews were called to Pencester Gardens just after half seven this morning, and paramedics confirmed the boy died at the scene. Our reporter, Alex G, has been there for the Kent Online podcast. That was absolutely devastating scenes here in Pencester Gardens in Dover after the body of a teenage boy was found at a fun fair. Police, ambulance and fire services were called at just before 8 o'clock this morning uh, to a serious incident. A cordon was quickly established while investigations were ongoing and while those now seem to have finished with the fun fair being fenced off, there's very much still a shocked atmosphere here with people milling around in front of the fence. Some have been in tears and comforting each other after the shocking news. It remains to be seen what happens with the fun fair. It's certainly not expected to open today. Now, police say the death is not being treated as suspicious and the health and safety executive has been told. They've subsequently told us they're assisting emergency services. Well, the fun fair, we understand, was set up in the park yesterday ahead of a planned four-day run. The site is operated by Forest Amusements, which was established way back in 1889 and has bases in Herne Bay and Dartford. They've so far declined to comment where you can read this story and see pictures and video from the scene by heading to Kent Online today. Our thoughts are very much with the family of the teenager involved. Kent Online News. Some crime news for you now. An Kent man and three others have been charged in connection with a suspected murder in London. Armed officers were called out to Haringey last month where a 23-year-old man had been shot in the chest. A 30-year-old from Margate's due in court accused of assisting an offender while a 17-year-old boy who was also arrested in Margate has been released under investigation. A Dover man who stabbed himself in the stomach and then threatened to frame his girlfriend has been jailed for two and a half years. Terry Brooker, who used to live in the links, also strangled his partner until she lost consciousness after she ended their relationship. The judge said the victim could have been left brain damaged and described the 40-year-old as acting like a savage. Firefighters have been tackling a large fire that's destroyed a building and a number of vehicles near the Dartford Crossing. Plumes of smoke could be seen from around the town as 10 fire crews battled the blaze over in Thurrock in Essex early this morning. It's since been put out but two fire engines have remained at the scene to dampen down any hot spots. A number of shops in Who have had to close their doors after being targeted by thieving teenagers. The daughter of one shop owner says the problem started on Friday with children coming into the shop on Main Road and stealing around £250 worth of stock. The crime spree continued across the weekend. Some retailers have now taken to locking their door and only opening to customers who asked to come in. Now, there's going to be a hosepipe ban in Kent. South East Water are bringing in the restrictions because it's been so hot and we've had hardly any rain. It'll come into effect at midday next Friday. That's August the 12th. It means you won't be able to use a hosepipe to wash your car, water your garden or power wash your drive, things like that. We've been chatting to Alistair Chisholm, who's from the Chartered Institution of Water and Environmental Management. We need to to build more capacity 
into the, the supply network. So we've got to stop water leaking out of it as much as it is. But we also need things like new reservoirs, the ability to transfer water from other parts of the country, just to, to give a, a mix of solutions in there. And then there's a whole raft of things that we can do to encourage people to, to not use as much water within their, their, uh, their homes. Domestic water use has gone up by about 60% since the 1960s, which is a really interesting thing. And then if you add population growth since that time as well, about 13 million extra people living in the country, we're using double the amount of water near enough that we were back then. The average household use per person is about 140 litres per day. There has been some research done, um, which shows that typically people think they use an awful lot less than that. So people, if they had to put a figure on it, often guess at around 20 or 30 litres a day that they're using. So there's a huge gulf between what people think they're using and what they're actually using. And this is where things like public information campaigns can have an effect, but also things like labelling of, of water using devices. We're all really used to seeing energy efficiency labelling on things like white goods now. We really, really should be having those kind of things for, for water as well on things like um, washing machines, dishwashers, taps, showers, anything that, mm -hmm. that uses water as an appliance. I think it's people just don't, and quite understandably, people don't have a clue how much water those things actually use and what that means in terms of their daily consumption. So what happens to anyone who breaks the rules? Well, you could be fined up to £1,000 and households could well grass on people if they see them using a hosepipe. South East Water, though, say it's going to rely on people's goodwill to follow these rules and, interestingly, they haven't said yet when the restrictions might be lifted. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. A Medway mum-to-be who felt a lump in her breast while three months pregnant is urging anyone who notices something different with their body to get it checked. Kim Rackley ended up having to have her baby early by C-section after noticing the lump had got significantly bigger. The 30-year-old from Gillingham has now had a mastectomy and is undergoing chemo. Well, she's decided to speak to our reporter Alex Langridge in a bid to raise awareness. I was about three, four months pregnant. Um, I found a, a small lump just in the upper part of my boob. And um, I kind of like Googled about it and asked around and I just kind of put it down to like pregnancy hormones. I thought oh, it might be like the start of milk or something like that. Um, I didn't really think much of it. I kind of kept an eye on it. Um, and then it got to November and I noticed that actually it was it was uh, still there and it was getting quite bigger. So by the time I went to the doctor, you could feel that it was probably at least two, three centimetres of lump that was there. Um, I went and saw, I didn't even see a doctor actually, I saw a nurse at the GP surgery and she was like, okay, uh, immediately referred me up to the breast care clinic at um, uh, Medway Hospital, which if you ever have to go there, they are absolutely amazing. Um, so I had an appointment up there, I think it was three weeks later. This was the end of November. Um, I had, so because I was pregnant, they couldn't do a mammogram um, because of the risk to Leo. 
so they did an ultrasound. Um, the the ultrasound technician kind of put the ultrasound on my mass um, for about 30 seconds and then called three other nurses into the room to do biopsies. Um, they they didn't tell me anything that day, but I, I mean, when when things happen that quickly and you've got three nurses piling into the room, I kind of knew that that wasn't good. I went back for my results appointment and the first person I saw when they opened the door into the room with the consultant was the Macmillan nurse. And I was like, well, that that kind of answers most of my questions. So the initial plan was just going to be to have Leo. So I had, he was born five days later by a C-section. They initially removed a five centimetre tumour and two smaller ones as well that are both under a centimetre. And then they found another 14 centimetres of cancerous tissue. So I think I totaled it up the other day from the letter I got. It was 21.3 centimetres of cancerous tissue that they found in the end. How was it kind of for you kind of finding out, but also having that kind of pregnancy and the joy of having a new baby? Really, sorry, I find this quite difficult. It really tainted it. It really tainted the birth of my son. So Leo was my fourth pregnancy in two years and it ruined what should have been the happiest time. And it wasn't because I was just scared. I know obviously it, we, you went through that whole sort of journey with him to kind of have him now while going through this though, that must be really lovely. Um, yeah, he is the main thing that gets me through. Like whenever I'm at my lowest, that he's just there with his cheeky little smile and it just picks me back up again. You obviously put the, the lump down to pregnancy changes, but would you sort of encourage other people to go sort of get it checked maybe sort of sooner? Oh yeah, than definitely. Later? Um, so I've been like, especially on, so I, I've been on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and just urging people to check yourself regularly every month the first of every month check yourself learn how to do it it takes like five minutes and don't disregard anything if something changes like even if your doctor brushes you off and tells you it's nothing you get it checked because it can happen to anyone at any time and it doesn't discriminate um I've met quite a few people now through a charity that I'm working with who specialise in um, women that have cancer while they're pregnant or with a young child and the amount of us that do have similar stories and the amount of us that were brushed aside by doctors thankfully I wasn't because I hate to think how much worse it could have been Um, but I do still kick myself that I didn't go and get it checked out when I first found it because it might have been smaller and I might have been able to just have one surgery and and be done with it but it's it's hindsight it's 2020 but it's the the most important thing for me to come out of this is that other people hear my story and check themselves and go to the doctor you know, definitely, I think as well, one of the things that what you said is maybe setting a reminder to 
do it every month because it is something that people do forget I know myself yeah. I, it's something that you don't always go right I'm going to check but if you maybe set a schedule to go right do it first yeah. of every month I, I have a reminder on my phone for the first of every month but I've also now taken to because obviously I do still have one babe um I've also now taken to just every time I have a shower just run your hand over the area have a feel around like you're washing it anyway so just be more aware when you're washing yourself um take that extra two seconds to have a feel around and make sure that it does all still feel the same especially like if you are pregnant or you're breastfeeding as well because that comes with a lot of breast changes um and a lot of pregnant people as well that was what I had the issue with don't know what to expect in regards to changes when you're pregnant and like towards the end of your pregnancy um and that's what made me believe that it was just something to do with pregnancy because no one tells you what you should and shouldn't expect but you should not have hard lumps in your boobs <laughs> it's never this shouldn't happen we do thank kim ever so much for speaking to us and sharing her story and wish her all the very best with the rest of her treatment you can also read that story as well by heading to the website kent online reports a gateshead couple and their dog have fallen ill after swimming in the sea in herm bay just a day after a sewage release at nearby swale cliff hours after the three of them went swimming in hampton beach they developed sickness and diarrhea they say there were no signs and no warning southern water have since apologised. The Kent Online podcast has been told the idea of setting up so-called warm banks for people who are struggling to afford heating is just a sticking plaster solution. Now we've learned that some authorities here in Kent are actually considering the idea because gas and electricity bills are continuing to soar. Martin Ward is from the Canterbury Food Bank. Now he isn't against the idea but he doesn't really think it's the right approach and he's been explaining all of that On the face of it, I think anything that uh, supports the needs of people in poverty um, is a good thing. But um, that's only a very superficial response, because if you start looking underneath the surface of it, then uh, this is only a sticking plaster solution. Um, And it's it's in no way going to address the needs of of people um, in poverty and whether that be food poverty, whether it be energy poverty, whether it be transport poverty or whatever. Um, this is this is only a sticking plaster solution and it's only as good as far as it goes. Um, that's not to say that I'm against um, anything that supports uh, people in need, but really we should be looking at the foundations of what the problem is, not uh, um, putting a, a lick of gloss paint on the top of it. We know there are authorities across the county who are considering setting them up. Do you think that it's a realistic prospect at this point? Uh, well, I, that, that's not for me to judge because uh, I, I I have no influence on either policy nor the finances of, of local authorities. Um, and, and that's for them to decide. But I mean, let's just sort of take this apart a little bit. Um, that to actually create... Um, a space that yes is warm but um it, let's just sort of walk this through that someone is going to have to leave their own home which potentially has uh, you know is safe and 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 has the potential to be warm to go out into the cold to go somewhere um 
and uh, and 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 sit and and certainly be warm. But um, I think that's a little bit demeaning. I think that if um, if the policy was then going to be tied to something like children's centres, drop in um, support centres, um, or, or or permanently located food banks, um, which wouldn't include us because we don't operate that model, then then maybe um, that would be more uh, um, uh, more suitable. But but thinking about the um, the sort of emotional impact of having to do all of that just to go to a, a a fairly sterile place just to be warm i think is is pretty grim really in my view does the fact that authorities are considering it suggest just how desperate the, the situation has become when it comes to you know cost of living we know people are already choosing between eating or heating i mean it's yeah. quite a sad indictment really of where we are well it, 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 the experience of uh, of Canterbury Food Bank is that since uh, um, early this year, really, when um, uh, the uh, well, we can actually trace it back beyond um, the beginning of this year. But as energy price rises started to increase, the reduction uh, of the twenty pound uplift in universal credit and so on, it, we're, we're getting a perfect storm of uh, of people not being able to afford you know the the basic requirements to you know to 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 live um and heat and food are very important to that so um we've got to um i think start looking at um the causes beneath all of this because already we have got people contacting us who are frightened really genuinely frightened at the prospect of going into the winter being cold um, suffering the, uh, the the effects of the increase in the energy price cap, which, you know, if they can't afford energy now, heating now, they're not going to be able to afford it later on in October when all the prices potentially go up. So, you know, we need to, we as a society need to have a long, hard look at how we support people um, who are the least well off in society. That's what a civilized society does, in my view. Um, and that has that policy has to come from central government. And although, you know, the, the warm spaces initiative may be coming from central government, that doesn't answer the problem. Um, I go back to what I said at the very beginning. It's a sticking plaster, sticking plaster solution. And, and nothing more. We'd love to know what you think. You can let us know by commenting on the story on our website or by getting in touch via socials. Is this the most dug up road in Kent where works have been carried out on London Road between Swanscombe and Greenhithe more than 70 times, would you believe, in the past four years? Now people living there are calling for action to try and prevent frequent water leaks. Thames Water say they are working to sort the problem and reduce leakage by 20% over five years until 20 2025. The former Saga offices in Folkestone could be turned into flats and houses. Plans have been submitted to convert the four-storey Cheriton Park building. The travel and insurance firm left the site after reducing office space during the pandemic. Kent Online reports. A young girl from Kent has become the first teenager to receive a new treatment which could allow her to still have children even after receiving chemotherapy. Sophia Millen from Sittingbourne has undergone the fertility preservation procedure 
procedure at a London hospital. The 14-year-old was diagnosed with a form of blood cancer last year and has since been undergoing treatment. Police have apologised after raiding the home of a 75-year-old woman after mistakenly thinking it was the home of a violent rapist. Three officers forced their way into the property on Tufton Street in Maidstone in the middle of the night. It's emerged it happened when details were put into a computer system incorrectly. Margaret Rose has been telling us about what happened. I was very upset when it first happened. It was midnight, but I did understand after being explained to me why the police had come stampeding through my hallway and frightened the life out of me. It was, as I say, midnight and I'd been asleep, um, but I do understand and um, I, I, I don't have a problem with what they actually did and I just wish the police well and uh, I, I think we ask the police to do a lot of things that maybe we wouldn't want our nearest and dearest to do but the thing that really really upset me was that nobody came back the next day or whatever wanted to know how I was I'm nearly 76 now I live on my own and I could have had a heart attack and died that very after they after they went they just found out nobody was there and off they went Um, but as I say I've got nothing to say against that but what I have what I was upset about was there was no welfare call or anything I didn't know what to do where to go or or what to say I felt a bit bit of a silly really because I didn't know but I think it was the shock and uh, the whole situation but I did complain to the police Um, Didn't get on very well to start off with, but then um, DCI Richard O'Toole uh, came to see me and he was a decent, honest, genuine person who has gone through and done a whole report. He spoke to me several times, came to my home and spoke to me. He brought the sergeant that was in charge of the squad, who seems a very decent, honest uh, copper, and uh, the whole thing uh, I, I think was extremely well done by DCI, by the police. And I, I really feel that I move on from that situation now. Kent Online News. Now, if you fancy braving Europe's biggest swing where well, you're in luck, it's just opened at Blue Water. The ride at Hang Loose Adventure will take five people at once and features a 46-metre drop over the chalk cliffs surrounding the centre. You can see pictures of what it's like at Kent Online. The Red Arrows are going to be coming to Kent later this summer. They'll be performing at the Folkestone Air Display. Thousands of people are expected at the event on the Leagues and Folkestone Harbour on August the 21st. Also on the website today, you can see pictures of a rather stubborn swan that's been holding up traffic in Dimchurch. The bird stood and stared at the driver of a VW Polo in the town, refusing to move. It was eventually got out of the way, but apparently keeps coming back. The RSPCA, though, say they haven't been contacted. And rescuers in Margate have saved a dog who found himself perched on a window ledge four storeys above the ground. Two police officers noted the stranded dog at the property in Fort Hill and were to bring him down safely through an open window. Police have spoken to the owners and a referral's been made to the RSPCA. Kent Online Sports. Commonwealth gold medalist John Boysmith hopes he can inspire people from all backgrounds to give sport a try. The 32-year-old from Gravesend is the first member of the Romany community to represent Team England. He won the wheelchair marathon in Birmingham at the weekend and was able to capitalise on teammate and racing legend David Weir suffering a puncture. 
where he's been speaking to Jadzia from our colleagues at KMTV. Still hasn't sunk in yet. Um, and it was early Saturday that I uh, that I won, but it's still very surreal to me. It was a, an unexpected goal, wasn't it? I, it, it at first, it, it wasn't looking like it was going to go that way. Uh, to be honest, I think that's the reason why it hasn't really sunk in a bit. Um, because there was a lot of there was a lot of ups and downs. Uh, quite literally in the race. Um, to anyone who was watching the race, anybody who follows wheelchair racing, um, Dave Weir, who unfortunately got the puncture, he, he never really sets off that quick. Um, I think it was about three or four miles in, maybe could have been six miles. Um, and it was it was very strange that he, he took off the way he did. Um, and he did open up quite a big gap. But it seemed to be, I think the biggest gap he got on me was, let's say, around a minute. But I think by the time Dave got the flat into like the distance I was behind him, I think it was about 25 seconds. So I was closing the gap a little bit. I really can't answer how it would have gone down. I, I, I personally think it would have been a sprint finish. But again, after everything what happened, it's really, really hard to say what what could have happened, you know, what could have been. What was it like racing in front of a home crowd on English English soil. It was amazing, really, because if I'm honest, I've never really done it before. Like the only time I've raced with a home crowd is the London Marathon, um, which is brilliant. Don't get me wrong; um, it's obviously a part of uh, the World Major Series, the World Marathon Series. But it was crazy because I've won a silver medal in the past for for Team England over in Australia in 2018, but to have a gold medal for Team England in England, it was like, it just hit the tri-factor, you know, it was it was a perfect moment for me, definitely the highlight of my career so far. And what's the mood been like in the Birmingham village? Oh, it's been great. Um, I was there for, I was in a holding camp for three days. And um, then I was in the village, I moved up to the village on Thursday, raced on Saturday and came home Sunday. But it's, it's such a big support, I mean, and not just from Team England. I mean, you've got uh, the best part of 72 nations in the village and, it's not a very big place, so and every time you win, anyone wins a bronze, silver, gold, anything like that, it's hugely celebrated. So it was. Uh, I wish I could say I celebrated and partied a little bit afterwards, but I think I was in bed by eight o'clock. It, it was a very boring uh, celebration for me. I can imagine you were absolutely exhausted <laughs> after that. So fair enough. We'll save the partying till till later. Um, you're obviously from Gravesend, you're from here in Kent. Um, how has that helped shape you as an athlete? I was a batting bearer for the for the Commonwealth um, for the Commonwealth Games and I f the leg that I had to do was literally about 400 yards from where I was born. So the local support has been amazing just because it's literally a home crowd for me. Like when I, when I carried the baton, um, a lot of people from Gravesend were in the crowd up in Birmingham. So it seems to be that the locals follow me everywhere, quite literally. And it, it, it's really sweet. I mean, because Gravesend's quite a big town. And I was quite surprised the amount of people that came up from Gravesend who actually knew my name and and gave me the support I needed. So, like, it's not like I live in central London where millions of people live. I come from a very, very small community. Um, we all know each other down in Gravesend. It's, you're bumping into a neighbour everywhere you go. It's... um. It's really, really close-knit, and that really helps with, with the support. I mean, it's not every day I wake up and I can't wait to train. I'm looking forward to the day. I'm looking forward to getting up at 4 a.m. every morning. And on the days when I really don't feel like that, 
it's always the local community and the local support that literally helps me get up and try that a little bit harder. I also believe that you're the, the first ever um, Romani Paralympic um, athlete to, to compete. So what does this medal mean to you and, and your community? I'll be honest, that, that is true, by the way. Yes, um, I'm the first uh, Romani Gypsy to compete at the Commonwealth Games or the, the Paralympic Games. So it, it means a lot. But I'll tell you what it is, the, the story I always... I try to express, I try to get out there, what I try to shine a lot of light on is, it's not just for my community, it's for any community. Um, I always preach to anybody who will listen. It doesn't matter what creed, colour, race you are, where, where you work, what you do, how much money you've got in the bank. It's never think that anything's impossible. Just because you come from a, a small minority, a small culture, a small I mean, look at me. I, I live in a really, really small town down in Kent, what no one's probably ever heard of before. Really, really small uh, community. A lot of, like I say, we all know each other. I don't come from a money background. I come from a very much working class uh, family. And I just say to people, quite literally, if somebody like me can do this, anybody can do it. I mean, it was always my goal to win a gold medal and be the best in my chosen field, which is wheelchair racing. And... I've, I said this before in a post interview at the Commonwealth Games. I don't train in a fancy gym. I don't train in a fancy velodrome. I train on local roads and my gym is a converted garage in the bottom of my garden with some rusty dumbbells. So if somebody like me can do it, you can do it, trust me. Staying at the Games in Kent's Jemima Yates-Brown has won her second Commonwealth Games bronze medal in judo. The 27-year-old from Tunbridge previously won a bronze in Glasgow in 2014. And Sheppey's Ross Wilson's started the defence of his table tennis title. The 27-year-old from Minster won gold in Australia four years ago. He's won the opening game in the Class 8-10 to 10 group. On to cricket and Kent have won their opening one-day cup match away at Worcestershire by seven wickets thanks to a record-breaking double century by Ollie Robinson. His 206 unbeaten yesterday surpassed the previous best Kent performance in 50 over cricket of 150 not out by Joe Denley. The visitors chased down a target of 352. And in tennis, Kent's Emma Rajikanu is through to the next round of the Washington Open. The US Open champion from Bromley beat America's Louisa Chirico in straight sets during the early hours of this morning. That's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can also get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site. To do it, you need to subscribe. Just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.